Christ is risen indeed. I'm glad that Andrew uh, prayed this morning for our sister church in Nashville, Covenant Prez, and for the loss of these children and teachers and uh, one of the care the workers there at the church. Um, what a tragedy. Imagine uh, having your children or husband or wife or friends or family uh, shot, gunned down for no reason. What will you do? We have an answer for that. Jesus Christ is risen. Christos Anesti. He is risen indeed. If you don't have hope in your life for the resurrection, then you really have to ask yourself honestly, what is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of the life of those children or adults that were killed? And... Um, we can ask all kinds of questions like why would God allow such a thing and whatnot, but uh, I think you all know that this past year and much of this year, we went through the book of Romans. book of Romans answers those questions. Why is the world the way it is? Why did God make a world like this? What's wrong with people? Why are they like they are? And our thesis was that God did not make the world like this. He made a good world. He even said it was very good. He equipped human beings to be stewards over His creation and take care of one another and the world around them. And instead, we pushed back against God. We broke our relationship with God. We did it on purpose. And if you say, well, I don't want to be responsible for Adam and Eve, you're not responsible for Adam and Eve. You're responsible for yourself. We all are. You want to know why the world's this way? Because we have made it this way. And the resurrection is the promise that God loves us nevertheless and intends to recreate this world again in His own image and each of us who will trust Him in His own image. So the book of Romans, as we told you week by week, laid out this foundation, all the things that God has done. We went almost a year, maybe more than a year through the book of Romans. God lays out this foundation of the things that He has done to redeem mankind, to bring things not just back to where they were, but beyond anything that we can imagine in our wildest imaginations, a completely new, a recreation. And that's what the hope of the resurrection is. Resurrection is not resuscitation. It is literally the destruction of death and the springing forth of a new life, a new kind of life that has never existed before. So, you know, Dawson and I talked a lot about what we wanted to do following Romans, and so we decided that we were going to go through a few weeks, just probably up until Pentecost or so, going through this book called The Heart of Evangelism by Jerem Bars. We're only using this as kind of a guide, as an idea, uh, if you will, of what is required of us as Christians uh, in light of the resurrection, I mean, if Jesus really, truly 
rose from the dead. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. If he did, I think he did. I believe he did. I think there's plenty of historical evidence for his resurrection. So, if he did, then the world can no longer just stay the way it is. You can't just say, oh, isn't that nice? Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I guess that's a wonderful thing. Let's buy some lilies. No, it's way more than that. It's more substantial. And so we're going to look at this, the heart of evangelism. What is that? When you say evangelism, people break out in hives because they think we're going to go door to door and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And we're not going to do that. But I do want to tell you that we have a message for the world. The church does. We've done a very poor job, I think, at times, sharing that message. But when and wherever the gospel of Jesus has been faithfully preached and faithfully expounded to people, the world changes. And we're a small church, but folks, we have pled with you. Let's change the world. Let's start with us. We can't do much about what's out there, but we can change ourselves. So let's take a look at this. In your, in your bulletin, I put a couple of scriptures here. This is from Acts chapter 1 and from Matthew 28, and I did a little thing called harmonization. This is a very simple harmony. John Calvin harmonized all four Gospels. I don't know how he did it, and, and, but he did. I just did two verses. So here we go. Let's read them and uh, hear God's word. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So there's an ongoing challenge throughout church history, understanding words. My brother David has always said theology is all about vocabulary. It's how you understand words various words and the meanings that you pour into words. And so when we say things like resurrection, or we say something like kingdom, or gospel, you can't just start to assume. It's, it, 
there's a lot that is meaningful in those words. What is the kingdom of God? What in the world was Jesus talking about when he talked about the kingdom? What was the gospel? What is the gospel? What does he mean by uh, I'm, I go into the world and evangelize the world? What is meant by that? And in every age, churches had to look at those terms and understand what they are, what they mean. So we're going to do that over the next few weeks. Get some clarity on what is the gospel, what is the kingdom of God, and what is the commission that we have as believers. R.C. Sproul used to say that uh, he didn't like the people would come up to him and get him by the lapels and say, Brother, are you saved? And he would say, well, what do you mean? Saved from somebody like you? Come in and grab me. You know, what, what does that mean to be saved? Does it mean you get saved and go to heaven and you live in heaven? Or is there something more? And I can tell you the scripture is, is vibrant. It just vibrates with something far, far deeper and richer than just those simple Uh, things that we, you know, heaven and the clouds and that kind of stuff. It is more than that. It's actually more wonderful than that. It's a message that captivated the heart of the Mediterranean basin and and the people of Jesus' time to such an extent that they turned the world upside down. What are we missing? Well, I'm going to share a few things. I hope we'll help clarify this. Ligon Duncan, who's the uh, Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, that's where I went to school. One of the things that he says, and I shared this with you a few weeks ago, one of the saddest facts from church history is that when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, nobody believed him. The church has always struggled with its relationship to the world around us. Uh, We've gone so far as to cloister ourselves completely away from the world. The other swing of the pendulum is just to become exactly like the world. There's no difference. We just act like the world, talk like the world, do everything the world does. So over on this one side, we try to take political power, we try to take economic power, and over on the other side, we go hide in the desert in a cave somewhere uh, and eat locusts and wild honey. We don't seem to know the balance. And the reason is because there is no balance. The Bible never in any of its places that you read provides a balance somewhere along a continuum. And you're supposed to find that really good balanced place. Just not there. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us that the message of God to His people, to humanity, is not on that continuum. It's up here. It's a gospel about a kingdom, and that's what Jesus is addressing with his disciples. What does it mean to be a member of this kingdom, to be a member of this group of people, and what it means to be part of the church, and what are we supposed to be telling people about Jesus Christ? 
let's look through these passages real quick. I, I'm going to give them to you this morning. I hope you'll come back next week and the weeks to come. Dawson and I are going to go through them uh, talking about the message of the gospel. So there's seven things. It'll only take a minute. Don't fear. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and its gospel. The kingdom of God and its nature. The kingdom of God and its power. The kingdom of God and its horizons. That's something that Jerem Bars talks about in his book. The kingdom of God and its direction. The kingdom of God and its ambassadors. And the kingdom of God and its king. So let me give you just briefly an overview of what we're talking about here. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus was so gracious and kind in his hand. He didn't slap them down and say, what a dumb question. Haven't you been listening? No, he didn't say that. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has reserved in His own mind, in His own understanding about the way history unfolds. It's not for you to know that. You trust Me. Just trust Me. I will give you the Holy Spirit and then you will go and you will make disciples. So what he's saying is that the kingdom of God, what is that kingdom? And what is the gospel message? The gospel is euangelion. It's uh, the Greek word for evangel, evangelism. It's gospelism, gospeling. How do we do that? Is it just something we tell other people? Or is it our life, our entire life, our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we talk, the way we think. And what Dr. Barr says in his book is it's everything. Evangelism is everything you do. Where you live, where you work, where you play. Your entire life is to be speaking about the beauty of Jesus Christ. Even when you mess up, and you're hypocritical, and you do something dumb, and you sin, or you commit some horrific sin, something terrible. People should see something different in Christians. They should see brokenness, humility, a desire to make right what is wrong. This redemptive uh, thing inside of us is supposed to be going outward. And people will notice that about us, especially at a time like this where all you hear is hatred and vitriol and the stuff that's going on in the news and everywhere. It's just insane. Well, you can go over here and hide and put your head in the sand like an ostrich, or you can go all in over here and pick your party and get your weapons and start stocking up the ammo in your house and all that other stuff and get your guns ready. Or you can look to Christ. What did He do? What was the nature of His kingdom? What is this message? Is it a message of pacifism? Is it a message of militarism? Is it a political message? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he just tells them, no. It's not for you to know this. You need the Holy Spirit in order to understand. Because it's not going to be like anything that we think. Lord, will you restore the kingdom? In, in the 28th, uh, ver, uh, 18th verse of Matthew, he says, All authority in heaven and earth are given to me. In Acts 1, this few verses there towards the end, a cloud appeared and took Jesus up. And then the angels say, in the same way that he went, he will come. There's the message that we have for the world. Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the dead, and has all authority. doesn't matter what countries do and what they say or what the doctor tells you on a certain day you have this or you have that or your wife or your husband says I don't love you anymore I don't want to be married anymore one of your kids goes off the rails or you lose a job it doesn't matter it matters but it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things because the king has come the king has established that the king has put death to death in his own death. He has done he's raised he was raised from the dead. He's done something so monumental that all the fear and the anxiety about it doesn't mean you don't care, but the fear and anxiety has to take a certain place, not on a continuum, but in light of this message, this gospel. What is a kingdom? Let's look at the kingdom and its nature. Look at the time frame. Jesus lays out a time frame that is, it's so sublime, it just kind of rocks your mind if you think about it. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he says it's not for you to know. He doesn't say, I will later. I will do it in some time. Maybe you don't know when, but I'll do it later. I'll restore the kingdom to Israel. He just says, it's not for you to know. Why? Because the kingdom of God, and over the years I've been here with you folks, I've told you, there's several things. If you don't get your head around a few things, the Bible just isn't going to make sense to you. One of them is God's time frame. The way he looks at things is different than the way we do. And so what you see in Scripture is what Herman Ritterboss and other scholars have called the already, not yet. There are things that already happen that take place in history, but the consummation, the full, fully completion of it is not till later. And those alreadys and not yets you track them throughout the Bible, throughout Bible history. You see that the already there was already a kingdom on this earth. It was in the Garden of Eden. And, in, and one of the things about kingdoms in the ancient Near East is wherever the king was, they would put up, what would they put up on the roadside so that everybody would know that this is the king's kingdom? What would they put on the roadsides? Images of the king. And what would the king build in the very center of his community, wherever he lived? He would build a temple. So there's images 
a temple, a place where God would meet with His people. See, all you need to know is Genesis 1-3 through and you understand the whole Bible. He built a world. He put a garden, His temple. He put it in the land of Eden and He put His people in the garden and He told them, be fruitful and multiply and plenish, not replenish. The word means to fill it up. Make it verdant and vibrant and alive. Spread it out into the world. So there was already that kingdom. But it wasn't complete yet. They were supposed to fill the earth, take dominion, spread, make more images of God. And spread them out throughout the land. So wherever that image of God was, people would know, I'm in God's place. He's present with me. I'm safe. I have shalom. I can be at peace. And as you read through the Bible, the not yet was put off. So Abraham comes already. Son, Isaac, kingdom is getting built again, but not yet. Moses frees the people from Israel. Already kingdom, they go to Israel. They go to try to establish the physical kingdom in Israel, but not yet. The kings were not faithful. So you see this cycle of already not yet. Kingdom, here's something you need to know. When God talks about kingdom, He's not talking about a geographical area. He's not talking about Jerusalem and uh, Israel in the Middle East today. I know that goes against much of the popular belief, but that's not what he's talking about. Kingdom is not a geographical area. It is his rule and his reign over everything, all the time, everywhere. The kingdom is not the same as the church. The kingdom is everything God rules over, including the church. But the church is an embassy. It is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, metaphors we could use. It's like an embassy. And the people of the church, those of us, we are ambassadors to the world, kingdom of darkness, talking about this kingdom of light that we come from and encouraging people to cast off that darkness and embrace the kingdom of light. You see that? Another metaphor is uh, Omaha Beach. This is a more violent, but it still holds. That we have, with the coming of our king, he has erupted, eruption, not eruption, eruption. He's broken into time and space. And then he recreates his image in people and he tells them, go out and conquer the world, not with military power, but through uh, service and sacrifice and grace and kindness and charity and weakness and humility. Go and conquer like this, not with the sword, but nevertheless, It's a battle. So it's nature. And it's not just a spiritual kingdom. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, the kingdom of God is in us. It's in our heart. That's not what he was talking about. It's here. It's among us. 
and we are to be stretching it out. What about its power? We'll look at verse 8, this very famous. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. A few weeks ago, we talked about the four dimensions of our Christian life. One is Jesus came for us. The other one is He came as us. In other words, He was a substitute. He was going to go and take our place, both in His active righteousness, obeying the law, but also on the cross, dying a death that we deserved. There was a substitution that would take place. So He's dying as us. He also lived as us. And then He promised that He would come and dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth dimension is His life through us, how He lives through us. And that is what uh, Jerem Bars talks about, the horizons that we have. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to all the nations. See, the, the life of Christians, we're not to live in caves, we're to go out. It's an outward direction, an outward movement. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't be afraid of the news. When the news says, you know, there's going to be, the stock market is going to crash. It's going to crash. Is there going to be World War III? Probably. And World War IV and V and VI? Who knows? Is there going to be good presidents and bad presidents? Say yes. There's going to be good ones and bad ones. Are there going to be good Supreme Court justices that that uh, regulate their, their cravings or bad ones? Yes, they'll be both good and bad. Is the church going to be successful at times in culture? Yes. At other times, is the church going to be, going to be struggling to be an uh, impact on culture? Yes. That's history. It's up and down. It goes sideways. It goes this way, that way, the other way. The only thing that remains steady is the kingdom of God and the people of God. We're supposed to stay steady, but too often we get tossed about like winds, like ships on the waves of the wind. We're, we're so fearful. We wring our hands at everything. We're not sure what's going to happen next. What a, the resurrection puts all of that in a certain context. doesn't mean you don't care. In fact, I would suggest you care more. You care more deeply for what's going on because the resurrection says God's horizon is to the entire earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Now to Jewish ears, that would have sounded crazy because they understood the kingdom was for them, not for the Gentiles. And so unless you have, uh, you know, a certain, uh, with ancestry now, you can find out if you have any Jewish blood, right? So, have any of you found any Jewish blood in your, no? You're, you're just a bunch of unclean Gentiles. Now, what he was telling the world is, everybody, these are mine. This world is mine. These people are mine. I'm going to reclaim the world. The world is mine with all its mess. How do you know? Jesus took the mess. 
He went to the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. He did exactly what He said He was going to do and He became the King of the kingdom. And the horizons are no longer just Israel, this little piece of land in the Middle East. It's the whole world. That's His horizon. It's not just Jewish people or Hebrew people or people of Semitic uh, descent. It's all kinds of people. Everywhere. All kinds of backgrounds. All kinds of colors and shapes and sizes. Those that are handsome and good looking like me. And ugly ones like some of you. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about. It's a global. And we're going to look at this in detail next week. You, you, it will blow your mind how the Scriptures carry these themes out and bring them to fruition and say this world is my God loves this world. He loved the world like this. This is how He loved the world. He gave His Son for the world. This is crazy. The direction outward. Jerusalem and the ends of the earth go. He re, actually, He reasserts what we call in theology the creation mandate. Scholars have noticed the wording is the same. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 31, I think, is he's talking about uh, uh, to Adam and Eve. He says, go, take dominion, uh, uh, rule, subdue, do all these cool things out there with the world. You know, it's, I've got it all ready for you. Now go do, go work it out. And here Jesus recapitulates or reasserts that original creation mandate in Matthew 20. Go into all the world and spread the news of the great king. This great king who built this beautiful garden, who erected this temple, who wants to walk with us in the cool of the day, who wants to be with you everywhere you are. Not just here on Sunday morning. He's very specially here on Sunday morning with the sacraments and all of those things. We sing our songs. We, we pray our prayers. We make our confessions. But He also wants to go with you wherever you live, where you work, where you recreate. Recreation is God's gift to mankind. Wherever you rest, where you study and think, and where you cry and weep, God is there with you. When you're sinning, when you're committing the worst sin you can imagine, He doesn't hold His nose and step away from you and go, oh my God, look at what Chuck's doing again. Oh no. No, He draws in close. He gets closer. Otherwise, how do you account for the fact that you get convicted or feel bad about your sin or even want to go back to God? How do you account for that? Because you're a good person or you're smarter than everybody else? No, it's because He comes in close. He convicts us. Not condemning. He, con he says, get away from that fire. It's going to burn you. Don't drink that poison. It will kill you. That's the kind of God you have. And what about the ambassadors? This is we're, We'll talk about this, Dawson and I both. When they, the men of Galilee, that's in verse 6 of Acts, when they, you see, there's a they to Christianity. In um, 
popular American evangelicalism. It's all about decision-making. And I decide, I make a personal decision to follow Jesus. And I give my life to him, and I walk the sawdust trail or whatever, however you want to say it. All of that is true. But if that's the end of it, it's just you. You and God, the most dangerous person in the world is somebody that has the Holy Spirit in a Bible and nothing else. Yes? Holy Spirit and a Bible and nothing else. What will you become? Uh, Yeah, you'll weaponize. Or you'll become a monster. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be living among us, they, and in each of us. But if you're not part of of a community, you will become a tyrant, a monster. You won't have any guardrails around you. And this is what's so valuable about the church is... You can be around people that are presumably living according to the gospel and the kingdom and that kind of thing. And you have your, somebody's got your back. I, d- I don't always understand what I'm doing. I can fake it pretty good. I mean, none of you know right now that I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> we can fake it. But how much better is it when we are in a community where we're working together, we're pushing against the tide, all of us together. Like in football, you know, the guys all get behind and they push all together. You can't go it alone, my friends. You just can't. You need people, people around you. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are an embassy to the world. And we need each other. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus assured us that he would be with us till the end of the age. Finally, the kingdom uh, and its king. You know, this is so hard to say. But I'll, I'll just say it. Jesus did not come as an advisor, a spiritual advisor, or a counselor, uh, or a therapist. He didn't come like that. He came to be king. And that means, and here's the, the thing that I worry about sometimes. We, we as, in church, as ministers, we encourage people to accept Jesus, receive him, trust him. But when we do that, we don't tell you what that means. And what it means is, that he's our king, not our pal or our buddy, although he is. He's our friend and all of those good things, those metaphors. But he's also our king. So he lays claim to us. We're his. He is ours. And this requires a response from his people. Absolute, 100% obedience. How are you doing with that? I used to ask my students when I was teaching the high school kids uh, at, at a Christian school, I, I had the privilege of teaching theology and Bible, like, 
like I knew anything. They, and the kids, the, I would ask the kids this question. What is God more pleased with? Your obedience or your repentance? What do you think they said? Oh, God's much more pleased with my obedience. Repentance is plan B. And I would always tell them, no, he's, he is pleased with both. He's delighted when you obey. He's happy when you obey. But repentance is also a command of His. And He is super happy when you repent and return to Him. It's not plan B. It's plan A. There's a God has no plan Bs. Everything He does is plan A. So repent. Believe the Gospel. Follow Me. Perfect obedience. All of that is what our lives are to reflect in everything we do. The King is our, our King. And He doesn't accept you. He, do, he does not accept you in spite of your sin. If that were the case, then to ask yourself, what, do, what is all this stuff about Jesus Christ? If He just accepts me in spite of my sin. That's not what happened. The king that you have is a king that went to a cross. A king on a cross. A king who died for you, as you, lives in you, and wants to live through you to the world around. You like that, Ugo? Thanks, brother. We're old Pentecostals, Hugo and I. Amen, brother. Think about that. Your king came on a donkey. The colt of a, don of a donkey. Not on a war horse. He came in peace. Not in war. He came in love. Not in vengeance or anger. He came with grace. Because He knows our frame. Not in spite of our frame, but because of it. He looked down like He looked at the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. He looked down and His heart was moved with compassion. And He said, I will give you My Son. That's your King. Let me share this with you and then we'll go to the table. It is a glorious phrase that he led captivity captive. The very triumph of his foes, it means, he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve his ends, not theirs. They nailed him to the tree, not knowing that by that very act, they were bringing the world to His feet. They gave Him a cross, not guessing that He would make it into a throne. They flung Him outside the gates to die, not knowing at that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe so the King of glory could come in. 
they thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishable in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God's back to the wall, pinned, defeated. They didn't know it was God himself who had tracked them down. Jesus did not conquer, listen, Jesus did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, how can we ever thank You for Your Son? It, it's impossible. And yet we do with all the, the heart that we have in us. We thank You and we ask that You would please fill us with Your Spirit. Help us to know the truth. Help us to bow the knee to our King knowing that He only means our good. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. Amen.